This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Fast fashion retailer Forever 21 filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection last week. The California company's restructuring plans include closing up to 350 stores, half of which are here in the U.S., Forever 21 situation shines a spotlight on changes in the fashion industry and what young people are looking for. It's also the latest casualty as the number of mall-based stores struggles to stay afloat. Consumer spending has been going well, despite recent signs of it slowing. So is there a formula to who is doing well in this market and a reason behind why once popular stores are now failing? With more, we are joined here in studio by Barbara Kahn, marketing professor here at the Wharton School, and also you hear her as co-host of Marketing Matters on Sirius XM 132 every Wednesday at 5 p.m. with America's Reed. And joining us on the phone, Ludovico Cesario, who's an assistant professor of marketing at Lehigh University. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Great to see you. Ludovica, great to have you back with us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you. This is another one of these, these mall chains, Barbara, that is not making it. And I wonder how much of this, and we're going to talk about the element of the consumer here, but how much of it is the consumer and how much of it is, again, this the issues around the malls? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things with Forever 21 that does make the story slightly different than some of the others. First of all, up until 2016, they were still building more stores. It's kind of like the gap where they overbuilt the stores too. So they weren't seeing the trends. And instead of slowing down on physical space, they were building up physical space. So that was a tax mistake, probably. Then, of course, there is a whole issue of trying to predict fashion trends for a young consumer. That, that, that consumer's always been fickle. It's always hard to make sure you've got just exactly the right trends. Yeah. And the third thing that I think makes Forever 21 a little bit different is it's fast fashion. So it's trying to have this fashion come in, in in style very, very quickly, and the clothes are not necessarily supposed to hold up for a while. You know, they're only a couple wears because they're so trendy. At the same time they're doing that, there's a lot of headwind for sustainability efforts and not and renting and sharing and not making clothes that just get thrown away. That's the opposite of sustainability. So I think that there's a couple or maybe three different trends that were yeah. really making a difference that, on top of everything else that we talk about with the re- retail apocalypse. Ludovica, your thoughts? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If you look at their you know, history, they went from seven to 47 uh, countries in just six years. So they clearly overexpanded, uh, Forever 21, of course. They overexpanded very quickly. And as Barbara was saying, they didn't really see this trend of moving away from a physical presence towards digital uh, online shopping. Yeah. And it's interesting they didn't see that because the core of their customer base is Gen Z, right? So the younger generation born after 2000 uh, who are you know digital natives. And so online shopping is their preferred channel of choice when they're purchasing, uh, especially clothing. Uh, And so it's just fascinating that they couldn't see, they didn't predict that shift. Um, And so now they're forced to basically restructure their entire company and uh, really put pressure on their online e-commerce platform um, to try to make up for the lost sales. The the online part of this, Ludovica, I I think is, is important to discuss even further here because of the fact that so many other retailers have understood that this shift, this component to online needed to be very important. And yet here you have a company that expanded the way that they did, and yet they failed at this. 
Absolutely, right? Like, so Forever 21 says that 16% of their sales comes from their e-commerce website. And because they are now closing all of these stores in many countries and they're closing 350 stores in the U.S., they really have to put, you know, a lot more um, effort into their e-commerce platform, which, by the way, was actually one of the preferred e-commerce platforms by Gen Z's. If you look at some of the ratings of, you know, which brands do e-commerce well, Forever 21 is one that has the most user-friendly stores. Uh, Also, because they engage with their customers a lot, they repost a lot of their, you know, social media postings where they showcase their goods. So they're good at doing it, except they didn't realize that that's where consumers wanted to buy most of their clothing. And they didn't realize that the amount of competition coming from other online retailers was skyrocketing. Think of brands like ASOS or Fashion Nova or Net-A-Porter, whose entire business model is online, they have understood that, you know, the customer of the future is a digital, you know, savvy customer who wants to buy online, who prefers to buy something online and rather return it if they don't like it or they don't have a need for it rather than going into the store to physically try it on. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I think that the consumer is more an omni-channel consumer. So I, I don't predict the total end of physical stores and the shift to online shopping. I think I think for clothing, people still do like to try some things on. So I, I, I totally agree that they overexpanded and they made too many stores. And a lot of their stores were very big footprints. They were almost as big as department stores in some of the malls. Right. So when they closed down, it's kind of like an anchor closing down. So it doesn't bode well for those malls either. But I don't think it's that the, the studies that I've seen show that true, they're digital natives and true, they do like to buy online. So I'm not refuting that. But I don't think it's moving to 100% online. I think there is still a purpose for stores, for trying on, for the social aspect of it, for the experiential aspect of it. So I wouldn't predict a complete shift to online. Oh, no, I agree. I would. I, I didn't mean to say that. And if I did, I misspoke. Definitely. I don't think that, you know, physical retail is going away anytime soon. I do think, though, that there is going to be a change in what the consumer is looking for in store, um, which is going to be, like you were saying, a much more experiential um, you know, in-store experience than what it is today. So I, I agree. I don't think physical retail is going away. I do think it's going to change, though. The purpose of the physical store is going to change. That being said, and something we just talked about, Barbara, before we went on the air, 18 retailers this year have either filed for bankruptcy or liquidated in 2019. It's actually a higher number than a year ago. Right. Two years ago was really kind of the, the, the start of this, just this downsizing of, of a lot of companies right now. 18 doesn't sound like a big number, but when you have companies like this Forever 21, where it's not just one company, it's the 350 stores as well, then it it multiplies. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, 2017 was the year of the retail apocalypse. 2018 was a little bit better. 2019 is bad again. But as many stores as closing, there are stores opening. Uh, Amazon's opening a bunch of stores. Walmart's opening stores. Target is opening stores. Costco Mm -hmm. just announced that they're going to open stores. And those are huge stores all over the world. So the point is bad, out-of-date retail that's not paying attention to the trends, those Mm -hmm. are the ones that are closing. But to say physical stores don't have a purpose, I just don't think that's right. I think you just have to pay attention to what's going on and what people want. Ludovica? Yeah, I agree. I think that um, if you actually look at the numbers of, you know, total number of retail outlets um, 
in the U.S., the number is actually going up. But as Barbara was mentioning, it's the large square foot stores that are closing, but there's a lot of new smaller stores opening. So she was mentioning Walmart, Target, Costco. They're all they're opening these smaller stores, even, you know, in downtown of big cities um, and even digital native brands. Think of the Warby Parkers or the Caspers of the world. They're opening stores. And if you think about it, almost you would say it wouldn't make sense, but they're opening these small either pop-up shops or flagship stores where consumers can actually experience the brand firsthand. So I agree. I think there's it's more of a shakeout in retail than a full, you know, apocalypse right, right. right now, right? It's basically retail just repositioning itself. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call with your comments or questions. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account at DanLoney21. Barbara Kahn of the Wharton School joining me in studio. On the phone, Ludovico Cesario of Lehigh University. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Ludovica, then what is the state of of the fast fashion segment right now? I think fast fashion as we know it uh, is not going to exist for much longer, meaning they're going to have to completely rethink their business model because the younger consumer is so attentive to especially sustainability issues. And you can imagine the kind of you know environmental footprint footprints that fast fashion has had over the past you know decades or so. Um, and so I think brands like Zara and H&M, if you look at their latest collections, they are trying to integrate sustainability much more into their latest collections. Uh, a lot of other brands are upcycling, you know, materials. Others are recycling older clothes. So it, they have to rethink of, um, especially because a younger consumer wants to spend um, even more money on higher quality clothes. So right. they're less likely to go, you know, to Zara. 17 times a year, as they were saying in the past, because they just care more about the environment and they know that these companies don't really have, you know, sustainability at the heart of what they do. Um, So I think just fast fashion is going to have to change its business model to make sure it can still have a customer in the future. Uh, There's a couple other trends. I mean, I think there's still going to be a desire for fashion and seeing some cool stuff. So I wouldn't, you know, so I don't, but I agree these um, these brands are doing more sustainability. Zara's actually stepping up their game on that a lot. But there's another trend. I just saw a study that came out this week on Gen Z. And it's not going to be a surprise to you, Ludo, um, that the young people are not only doing some of the things you were saying, but they also, there's the athleisure trend. And so Mm -hmm. their biggest, their biggest fashion, you know, brands now are not. Nike and Lululemon, Lululemon. and that's not, yeah, and that's not a brand that needs all this high fashion. So what they were talking about is a really big category for Gen Z women were handbags, and handbags purchases are going down. Now, you don't wear a handbag with a Nike suit, you know, like, it (laughs) just doesn't go. So, like, you can see there's a lot of, and by the way, that's why I think this segment's difficult to, uh, to forecast anyway. You know, before the retail apocalypse or anything, Abercrombie, you know, missed mispredicted the fashion after a while, you know? It, they're yeah. fickle. They, they liked it. That, that's the point. They're revolting about what's there, and they want to do something new, and it's kind of hard to figure out what their trends will be. So then with the example of, uh, of H&M, uh, Ludovica, when you talk mm-hmm. about a company like that, and that being a company which obviously has a significant mall presence around mm-hmm. the United States, how does a company like that need to kind of balance a lot of these different issues at play right now? Well, so one thing, you know, the reason 
one thing that they're trying to do is they're closing their bigger footprint stores to open more, like uh, a, a larger number of smaller stores around the country right. because they've realized that the rent that they were paying wasn't worth the money um, of the physical store being there in the first place. So they're rethinking their actual, you know, physical footprint. And then I think they're putting a lot of, you know, more attention on their online e-commerce store because consumers, the younger generation does purchase you know, most of their clothing online. So again, if you think it's also happening in, in high fashion and luxury, right? There's still these smaller flagship stores to, let's say, experience the brand more. Um, think of Uniqlo, right? They're doing the exact same thing. They're opening smaller stores around the country so you can still get a feel for the brand, but then they're putting a ton more effort and marketing investment into their online presence. The other thing that these smaller stores are doing is they're becoming more localized. So, like, for example, Nike has a a different kind of assortment in L.A. than they do in Soho and New York Mm -hmm. and things like that. So with these smaller stores, um, it's easier to forecast the demand for that local community. That's what uh, Lululemon does also. Lululemon has very much of a decentralized model. So the the local store managers can do things to really um, meet the community needs more. And, you know, Lulu has yoga classes and those kinds of things in their store, too. So you're bringing the community into these stores and they're meeting the needs in in more ways than just inventory as they had before. Well, I think that's the the point you mentioned about the managers having a say, I think becomes important when you're talking about what may be selling in Los Angeles may be different than what's selling in Boston or or you know Chicago or something like that is giving the managers the opportunity to actually have the say and have the input into what they want to have to a degree in their stores. Yeah, it's re- I mean, it used to be a trend. Like, I travel quite a bit, and I stopped going to all the retail because every single store was exactly the same no matter what country <laughs> you were in. You know, it got boring. So I, that a lot of people noticed that, and now they're doing things that are different, which gives mm-hmm. you a reason to go back into the store. The one store, though, that's really interesting to look at that's bucking this trend of moving to small stores is Costco. So Costco <laughs> is yeah. not opening smaller stores. They're opening the huge stores. Right. Right. And that right. is a. Re- I just had the CFO Richard Galanti, who's a Wharton grad, by the way, Wharton undergrad and Stanford MBA, uh, to speak to my class in San Francisco, and he was talking about you know they just opened this hugely successful store in Shanghai, and they had a store before that in Taiwan, and they're reinvesting in the physical store. They are definitely investing in online too, but that's a store experience that people don't want to miss. Well, and how much of that, with an instance like that, is the investment in stores outside the United States in comparison to? adding more stores to locations here in the U.S. Yeah, themselves. and that's true. Costco does not overstore in the U.S. And the mm-hmm. investment that they're putting in, they said they're going to build a lot more stores. Most of them are out of out of the U.S. So that that's true. That goes back to a really big mistake that I think Forever 21 did and, you know, Gap did before them. We don't need right. 16 gaps in them all. You know, like, <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> well, Ludovica, the, the, the other element to this, and you talked about the, the online sales component, Mm-hmm. But just as important is probably the social media strategy of these companies as well. Absolutely, right? So Gen Zs want to engage online with the brands they love. It is just part of who they are, and they want these brands to reflect the values that they believe in. Uh, and so right now, you know, sustainability, we, we mentioned before, is one of the core values. I keep going back to, you know, Greta Thunberg, and she's 16 years old, and look at the kind of following that she's been able to create to build awareness for climate change. And she consistently talks about brands not being sustainable in their operations. And so I think 
for online specifically in social media, consumers want to engage with brands who speak to their true values and who help consumers express themselves. And consumers want that kind of engagement with brands online. They want brands to talk about their sustainability efforts and they want their spokespeople specifically to also, um, you know, embrace uh, the call against climate change, and they, they want to make sure that they can have a relationship with the brand online. So I think, again, even though Forever 21's pure e-commerce platform was good, they didn't think about all these other, you know, touch points that Gen Zs wanted to have with them online. You know, it's interesting talking about these relationships with brands. In this survey that I saw that came out last week on 2,500 Gen Zs, two of the most popular brands for the Gen Z population were Nike and Chick-fil-A. And those are interesting (laughs) choices because they both have taken very controversial and polarizing political stands that were, you know, helped by social media response to that. And it's interesting the difference in, you know, the, the responsibility of brands today to embrace some of these issues that matter to people and to take a stand. And then when the most popular, Chick-fil-A and Nike are probably, you know, going after very different segments and yeah. yet right. they're both pretty successful. That's pretty interesting. Well, but remember that they're both also have a, uh, a significant uh, want to connect with the family because if you get the parents, you're going to get the kids as well, whether it be the clothing or, or the sandwiches and the chicken nuggets yeah. that you're going to be eating at, uh, at Chick-fil-A, Ludovica. Well, you know, now it's talking about fried chicken. I don't know if you, if you were following <laughs> Close to lunch. Wars, but, you know, there's been so much going on with Chick-fil-A and Wendy's, yeah. and it was just fantastic to watch. Right? No, like, not I, Wendy's. What was that one? Popeye's or something? Popeye's, Popeyes yeah. Popeye's was the other yeah. one. Well, yeah. Well, Wendy's, you know, Wendy's social media manager yeah, that's, true, that's true. They have a fantastic social media strategy. They're just always witty and provocative. Uh, so, but that know, Popeye Gen- thing with you good? You remember that one? Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah. And, and at the end, you know, like the amount of like Twitter followers that Popeye's gained, you know, just over that one week of the chicken, you know, fried chicken wars was incredible, right? Because yeah. Gen Z's were retweeting these tweets that were funny and provocative and they were going, you know, bantering back and forth. So again, Gen Z's want brands that they can relate to and that have this, you know, strong social media presence. And like Barbara was saying, that also just take a stance on uh, when it comes to, you know, political uh, issues. So then talking about brands for a second, Ludovica, going back to Forever 21, I saw an article about, you know, some of the ideas that they had for products in the stores and two of the the brands that they kind of tied in with, which caught Mm -hmm. me off guard that they would. One, the U.S. Postal Service, which is not what you would <laughs> think would be normal, brand. right? Exactly. And the yeah. other one, Cheetos. Wow. Which yeah, you I know. That. So there's those are two decisions to have branded products in your store that probably a lot of people would sit back and go, huh? Well, but again, you have to remember who they're speaking to, right? I mean, the U.S. Postal Service is a little bit, you know, out of the ordinary for Forever 21. But if you look at their collaborations just over the past few years, uh, they did Taco Bell in 2017. They did this whole food fashion clothing line. They did a packaging line last year. And this January, they did a collaboration with Honda to try to get, you know, to target more men because they're seen much more as a female brand. So I think it's always been part of the DNA of the brand to do these quirky collaborations with young brands that Gen Zs like. Um, and so I'm actually not very surprised, neither about Cheetos. Again, the Postal Service is the one I'm a little confused about. But <laughs> yeah. if you look at you know Taco Bell, Pepsi, uh, Honda, or Cheetos, they're very much in line with what Gen Zs are purchasing out, you know, in terms of fast food or chips. 
Um, so I think it actually makes sense that they worked with them. You know, it is interesting to see these brands go after men because a lot of times those extensions historically haven't worked so well. I can think of a number of examples where they tried one a female brand tried to go to men and back and forth and it didn't work. But these are working better now and I wonder if that's part of the trend too. Like Lulu is doing super well with the men's line. Yeah. Which yeah. I I personally didn't didn't predict when they first started that. I thought it was too female a brand. But I was wrong. And it's the quality and the you know and the values and the material that seems to matter more. But this does, Barbara, give Forever 21 now, once they you know clear the bankruptcy proceedings, it gives them the opportunity to do kind of that reset and be able to really look at what A, B, C, and D need to be for this, for yeah, this company moving forward. Yeah, one can only hope. But, you know, you see a lot of these brands that come back and they just don't seem to get it. You know, yeah. so I hope they do. There was a tad bit of sarcasm, I think, I, I heard there. Ludovica, yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see what happens after, you know, they kind of restructure themselves. Um, I do agree that, you know, the, like Barbara was saying this earlier, they have these super large footprint stores in multiple shopping malls and just the rent was so high that I don't think their profits would have ever even covered their monthly rent and so we'll see if they will go toward the smaller footprint store because one thing I I wanted to mention earlier is the idea of having more stores uh, but smaller um, is also a better way to get product faster to customers, a, a new trend in retail is buy online, pick up in store. Right. If you see they're doing it all over the country and multiple brands are doing it. So the fact that you have a store that's closer to you and you can still but, have the comfort of ordering online, but you can physically go pick it up at the store, um, I, we'll see if that's something that they decide to do. But you know, there's a trend that's different, which is super interesting to me that I don't know if you saw this, but like Urban is having pick up in Walgreens. So you don't necessarily yeah have to build your own store to do I agree that buy online pickup in the store is a very big trend very savvy very makes a lot of sense but you don't necessarily have to build your own store to have them picked up there but is that part of the reason then Ludovica why we saw I guess it was Target a couple of years announced that they were going to start to build some smaller locations in metropolitan areas in downtown areas so that people could could, Mm -hmm. people could pick their their items up you know, if you're if you're a member of the working public, pick your items up on leaving work and and take it in your car or jump on the train. Absolutely, right. It's just for consumers' comfort and ease of you know access to the store itself. If you know you have a, a closer store that you can literally, like you were saying, walk to on your you know way back from work or way back from class if it's close to a college campus, then you're just so much more likely to purchase from that store. Because remember, in the past, you know the Targets and the WalMarts of the world, they were kind of out of the urban centers, right? You had to drive to Walmart. But now, if you look, even just for us in Philly, there's like three or four small Target stores, you know, disseminated around the city. Yeah. So that just gives so much more access to consumers who can go again on in just add like oh I'll stop at Target in my daily routine as I'm going to work or coming back or going to class or coming back. Yeah, Walmart has a slightly different strategy. They're not really doing that. They're still driving to Walmart, so yeah. it's more curbside. But the Target for sure. But are we getting to the point now where the the stores that are in the malls that there are going to be certain stores that may have the opportunity to have success? The clothing stores, the music stores, those types of uh, music elements. stores. I don't know. Well, mean. yeah, I know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's right. But, but 
have online. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that shows you how old I am. But, but, but do you see that there are certain types of stores that will be successful in malls and other types of stores that won't be? You know, it's pretty interesting because like in the A malls and, and Ludo was saying about flagship stores, experiential stores, I agree that's all true. But up until maybe three weeks ago, I would have also talked about WeWork and look where that got us. True. Yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> Ludovica, final thought? Um, Honestly, if you look, um, I think high-end shopping malls are still going to be, you know, a thing of the future. Um, it, again, think I'm just looking in Philly where we live, right? They just opened this super high-end shopping mall. Um, so I think that kind of physical retail is not going to go away. But fast fashion will have to really rethink its strategy for the future. Barbara, final thoughts? Yeah, I think it'll be more experiential, more smart. I mean, it's really the basic thing. Look at your customer and see what they feel like doing in your mall. You know, yeah. it's just so simple. <laughs> Do provide customer value. Great seeing you. Thanks for coming in, Barbara. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Ludovica, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you. Barbara Kahn from here at the Wharton School, Ludovica Cesario at Lehigh University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 